Nehemiah chapter 4, if you have a Schofield Bible over top of the chapter, the, the Bible heading is opposition. And then if you look down below verse number 6, opposition again by anger. Verse number uh, 10 above that, it has opposition. And really, so much of the discussion in Nehemiah chapter 4 is about opposition. But really, I don't think that that's the word that is featured in the chapter. In fact, if you look in verse number 19, the Bible says that I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, the work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one far from another. The words you find repeated over and over again in chapter 4 is the word work. Work. And what I want to do for a little while, I want to preach about a church that is at work. A working church. Every now and then I, I park in a, a, a church parking lot that I know the church is no longer really active. You know that because the grass is coming up in the parking lot. Um, there's a, a need of paint on the outside of the building. Um, there, there's very little done on the sign. The steeple may be in disrepair. And you know that that church has stopped its work. Whatever it did in the past is something now that has gone by because what they're doing now is nothing. And you know what I would say? We should never get caught up in what we've done in the past to the exclusion of knowing we need to be doing something now in the future. There needs to be work done now. There's all kind of work that has been done here at this place. But you have stuff in your parking lot that says you've got more work to be done. Right. Right. And the work of the church, a church is not a place that you go and you get what you need and then go home. A church is a place you come and give what ability you have to help the work of God. There is a bad idea today in many Christian circles. Uh, circles that I go and find a church that meets my needs, that gives me what I'd have need of, that, that fills the gap for my children and helps them achieve what they want to achieve. I think that is wrong. I don't think God created the church for you and your enjoyment and your benefit. God created the church for you to get plugged into and use the ability that God gave you and raise your children in a place like that. All right, so when you find in Nehemiah chapter 4, you find the work. And the work, if you look in verse number 1, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. Now, throughout this chapter and throughout this book, it's about building the wall. And you know, a lot of times you just need to understand what the purpose of the work is. All right, they were building a wall, they were not building the temple. Ezra built the temple. A temple is a place that they're going to worship God, but a wall is not a place where you're going to worship God. A wall was, had, had several purposes, and one of them is protection from the enemy. I would say this, that it is a wise thing for a mother and dad to stay in a Bible-believing church because of the enemy's plans on the outside of what they can put into your children's minds. All right, there needs to be a wall of separation. All right, and, and I was told uh, this evening, Brother Larry Hargrove said, are you going to step on my toes? And he said that, and he left the building. Where did Larry go? Oh, there he is back there. Listen, a church, the work of the church is not to look like the world. The work of the church is not to be some place where everybody feels comfortable and everything is made the way they want it and nobody says anything that's not offensive. A church is a place that is a separation from that which is holy and that which is profane. There should be a separation because of protection from the enemy. There is a difference between that which is good 
and that which is evil. So a wall was being built for protection. But the idea that we have, if we just build a wall, the work of the church for protection, which I think we should. We, we ought to have the right kind of music here. I know you do. You don't need that message. But I'm telling you, the music ought to be right on the inside of the church. You just had the Marshall girls here. Listen, that kind of music is something that feeds the soul. That helps you deep down on the inside. We're not in the entertainment business. Right. The music that's here ought not just to be entertaining. It should be of good quality, but it ought to do something on the inside of the soul. All right, so there's a wall of protection from that which is filthy, but also preservation. Now listen, you and I, we, as, as, as parents, we, we ought not to be like Hezekiah. As long as there is peace and prosperity in my day, I'm really not worried about what's going to happen to the future generation. I think that is bad philosophy. I think our country is steeped in bad philosophy. We are, listen, we are writing checks that our children and grandchildren will never be able to cash. They are going to be so in debt. They are, listen, there are so many things that the generation right now is enjoying at the expense of future generations. And I'd like to say this. Listen, I, I, I know as you get older, you get comfortable and you like things to stay the way they are and you like to sit in the seats you always sit in and you don't need anybody bothering that. I understand all of that. But listen, the church is not here for your existence only. It is for the children coming behind us. There is a generation seated right here. We need to do something to preserve the church for them. That's why we don't need to stop preaching from the right Bible. Right. That's why there needs to be a distinction between male and female. It is amazing to me the generation we live in today. The society we have is so upside down and people get upset. If women wear dresses to church and men wear pants to church and and there has to be some distinction. Listen, we need, are you listening? We need a place of distinction today to preserve something for the next generation. There needs to be some preservation. The purpose of the church is to continue, not just to stop where we are right now. That's why it's important to get your children engaged. I saw some kids tonight working in the church, going around and picking up things. I heard one of them asking, hey, is there anything I can do for you? Hey, that's the way it ought to be. They must have learned that from their parents. Hey, I'm not here to get something. I'm here to give something. You need to understand the purpose. And then the propagation of what's on the inside of that wall. That temple needed to be something that was propagated. It needed to spread. It needed to expand. How many of you think that what we have in here needs to go out there? Come on. Don't you think we have a broken world outside these walls? We have a world that sits in darkness. And what they need is the liberating truth of the Lord Jesus Christ's death for their sin and sacrifice to pay for their sins. They need that. It doesn't need to just stay in here. If all we do is just hold on to what we have in here, then we're ne- listen, it's not going to be something that grows and spreads to another place. The idea, listen, the idea that America needs to revert back to the 50s so good-natured people come back to church is not going to happen. There are people that, listen, in our city in Greenville, we have Muslims, we have Hindus, we have Wiccans. We have all kinds of people there. You know what they need? They need somebody to tell them about Jesus Christ. It doesn't just need to be what's on the inside, but we can just enjoy church in here. No, there's somebody outside the walls of this church that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So propagation of the gospel. Now, that being said, verse number one, look at it again, though. The purpose of the work. We need to know what the purpose of the church is. We need to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 1, but it came to pass that when Sinbalat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. There is always going to be opposition to the work. The devil is going to oppose the work of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 talks about this great effectual door that has been opened. But you know it doesn't stop there. It continues on and there are many adversaries. We shouldn't be surprised at the opposition of the devil against the church. And I'm not speaking right now politically. I'm not talking about legislation in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about opposition in your family. In fact, how many men in here are called to preach? Would you stand up just a minute? How many are you called to preach? Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. First Peter chapter 5 says, Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary. You as an elder. Chapter 5 is written to elders of the church. And when you start trying to do the work of God, you know what the devil's going to do? He's going to oppose you in your family. He's going to oppose you in your marriage. He's going to oppose you in the things that you have, vices and and weaknesses that you have. He is not going to let up on the pressure on your children. And that's why people say, well, the deacon's kids and the preacher's kids are the meanest kids in the church. Well, there's a reason. I think the reason is they're not more important, but there's a bigger target put on their back. Because if he can get your children, he can stop you from doing the work of God. It ought not to come as a surprise that he comes after your children. But you ought not to let him take them without a fight. That opposition's going to come. It's not going to be something that doesn't, it just misses you thinking you can be seated. I remember a young man, he met me back there in the bookstore one day, a dear, 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 dear preacher. And he was really, he was low and he said to me, he said, uh, I said, man, what's wrong? And he said, oh. He said, I'm, I'm about to lose eight families. I said, you're about to lose eight families? He said, yeah. I said, what happened? He said, my, my adult Sunday school teacher, I found out that he was a Calvinist. And he's been peddling Calvinism to the people in the auditorium class. And so I sat him down and told him he couldn't teach anymore, which is the right thing to do. He said, but now I've got eight families that are leaving me. And I said, oh, I said, you know, Jesus had a lot of disciples leave him too. And I can still remember what he said right back there. He said, yeah, but I was hoping I'd be the exception. <laughs> there are no exceptions to a fight. The, do you see what the Bible says Sanballat was? Look at it. The Bible says that Sanballat in verse number one, that he was wroth. The Bible says great indignation. He's angry. He's angry. There's bound to be somebody here. You have a neighbor that you have a hard time getting along with. I don't know who that neighbor is in here. Maybe they have a wandering dog. And you're tired of that wandering dog. That's not what kind of, that's not the opposition we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that's full of raw, they're raw, full of great indignation. Are you listening to me tonight? The devil absolutely hates a church that is working for Jesus Christ. He is hell-bent 
on doing everything he can to make it as hard as he can to go forward. He hates you. That's all right. I'm glad I'm on the right side. Sanballat was full of indignation. There's opposition, and there's always opposition, but that's not my message because that is not the thing I see in the passage. Look at the next thing. Principles that are required for the work to prosper. How many of you, look at verse number six. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. How many of you sound like that was about halfway done? Does that sound like halfway done? How many of you found that it's easier to start a work than to finish a work? In fact, I wonder how many of you here tonight have, have a list of things that you need to get done. I wonder how many of you have a list that, that like mine, every now and then, I just keep changing the date and changing the date and changing the date. Halfway is not finished, right? I mean, if the wall is going to serve to protect and preserve, a halfway done wall is not enough. There needs to be a finishing of the work. So it needs to prosper. That work is something that needs to prosper. It needs to go on forward. And oh, my heart, I can't tell you how I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled when I hear about what God is doing at Sweet Springs Baptist Church. How much money did we give to missions last year? Over $400,000. Come on, the guest is the only one that said amen. $400,000 to missions. How many missionaries? Over 120 missionaries. We're talking about a church in the middle of nowhere. We're talking about a church that sits with a field over here and a field over there and a field back there. I'm, I, I remember people coming to the church and saying, where do all these people come from? Well, God just sends people that are hungry for the word and he's doing the work in the middle of nowhere. It's prospering. You're about to build a building, maybe. <laughs> right? I hear about testimonies of people being saved, and I hear about vacation Bible school and what's going on. A church should be prospering. A church should be growing. It shouldn't just be working and accomplishing nothing. It needs to be accomplishing something. And boy, I'll tell you what, to do that, There's some principles that just have to be, they have to be followed or you cannot, you can't have a work that prospers. Now, let's look at those just a minute in the 15 minutes that I have left here. First of all, verse number six, if the work is going to prosper, the Bible says the people had a mind to work. Do you have a mind to work? Or would you rather somebody else get the job done? Well, that's your job. That's their job. That's not my job. You know, if you ever worked inside a company that's union driven, that they make certain that everybody stays in their lane and nobody can do anybody else's job. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. Listen, around a church, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to find out what you can do yourself and get involved in the work. You ought to have a mind to work. There ought to be somebody standing at the door handing out bulletins when people come in. Right. It ought not be that the grass gets high because somebody's been sick and had to have surgery. It ought to be that, that gets taken care of because somebody's got a mind to work. There ought not be a light bulb that's out. There ought to be clean floors. Well, it's getting quiet now. Well, that's not my job. That's Gail Edwards' job. That's Monty Edwards' job. No, if you've got a mind to work, it's your job. That's your job. 
Well, no, nobody asked me to do it. You don't have to be asked. You to have a mind to work. In other words, I, I have a mind. I have made it a priority. It's in my thoughts. It's in my priorities that I'm going to spend time and energy helping get this wall built because, listen, because I see the importance of protecting what's on the inside and preserving something for the next generation. If you don't see that vision, you won't have a mind to work. But if you can see the importance for this generation, you'll say, hey, somebody needs to get the job done. That means you won't call in uh, to pastor after church is over and said, hey, by the way, I missed Sunday school because I just didn't, couldn't get there today. You'll make some, sure somebody's there. You'll get to your spot up here in the, in the orchestra. Who in the world would ever believe there'd be an orchestra in the middle of Ardmore, Alabama? A mind to work. If you don't have a mind to work, the work can't prosper. The work is not built on one man. There are too many works that are that way. And when that one man is removed, you know what happens to that work? It crumbles. Because that one man was the guy driving everything. That should not be true of a church like this. There ought to be many hands working at one time. Amen. That's good preaching. That is, that's good preaching. You know that's true. You need to have a mind to work. You say, I'm too old to work. No, you're not. Moses didn't get started until he was 80. Now, maybe you can't do certain things, but you sure can pray. Yeah. Maybe you could be the candy lady. Is that still your job, Judy? Judy's graduated. Amen. No longer the candy lady. Got to have a mind to work. But then look at verse number 9. Look at verse 9. Yes, there's opposition. They're going to come and fight. Verse 8. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. There needs to be prayer for the work to prosper. Come on now, listen. We are not strong enough to get the job done in our own ability. Do you know what prayer really says? Prayer says this. I am not enough. I need God. That's what prayer says. When you go, when listen, when you spend time in prayer, what you're saying is, God, I'm not sufficient. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough ability. I don't have enough power. I say amen to that. But God, God is unlimited in resources. He's unlimited in power. And when we, when we go to pray, we're saying, God, we need you. Hey, I'm telling you, hey, are you listening to me? You have some great preaching here. Probably some of the best preaching in the country. You need God to get the job done. That's right. You need God to get the job done. It doesn't matter how many years of experience you have and how much time you've plied your trade. This church needs God to get the work done. And you leave God out, you're not going to get the work done. It's not going to prosper. There may be a lot of work. There may be a lot of busyness. I mean, there may be a lot of running to and fro, and there may be a lot of people with their tongues hanging out and laying on the sideline trying to get some rest, but the work won't prosper without the help of God. But I'm telling you right now, when God gets involved in something, He can bring about things that we never dreamed were able possible. There's got to be prayer for the work to prosper. Do you see that? Are you praying? Do you have prayer meeting before service? Do you have prayer meeting after service? Do you pray during service? That helps me a little bit. Are you praying? Now, come on now. I can hear somebody saying, well, you know, Brother Brent, he just seemed a little off today. Would you pray for him? <laughs> I've always wanted to say when somebody says, preacher, I'm not getting fed. I've always wanted to say, well, have you prayed for me? 
But normally I don't say anything like that. I say something that I shouldn't say normally. (laughs) Are you praying? Because without prayer, the work's not going to prosper. That's why he said, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. Look at verse number 15. There's another thing about the work. The Bible says, and it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel and all, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone unto his work. It took 21 years to get the temple built. 14 years they weren't doing anything. They stopped. Stopped working. And here it says in verse 15 that we returned all of us under the wall, everyone unto his work. Very, very, very plain in the passage that there were people that were weary. Look at verse 10. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burden is decayed and there is much rubbish. The strength of the bearers of burden is decayed. They were tired. They were weary. You know, a lot of times people get tired and they quit working. They get weary. They get weary of the battle. They get weary of putting out the energy. They get weary of coming early and staying late. And then the Bible says, look in verse number 10. It says, and there is much rubbish. You know, sometimes people quit working because of the problems. We've had people that have visited this church. In fact, they, I remember I was asked in that backyard right over there, I was asked, uh, what, do you guys use the King James Bible? And I said, we certainly do. Do you guys support missions? And I said, we certainly do. They said, what, do y'all have fights in the church? And I said, <clears throat> not publicly. <laughs> do we have fight? Do we have problems? I just don't want to be part of a fighting church. I don't want to be part of a church where there's problems. Come on, man. You got problems in your house. And all I'm just saying is this, that there are people that get weary of the problems facing the same thing over and over again. And you know what they do? They quit working. They quit working. And then the Bible goes on to say there in verse number 11, look, and our adversary said they shall not know neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. They got afraid. I, I'm t- I, listen, I really believe 2020 changed so many things in this country. And one of the things it did is it caused us to be a more fearful people. I think we're more afraid of losing our lifestyle than we are in following what the Bible says we ought to do. We've gotten fearful. We're afraid. And then because people get afraid, they stop working. But the Bible says in verse 15 that we returned all of us under the wall, everyone to his work. There are reasons sometimes that people say, I just can't keep going. I understand that. I'm tired. I've got problems in my family. I've got problems with my children. I'm tired. I'm tired of the opposition. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. And so they sit down for a little while. And listen, that may be something you, you, you may have to do that. And we have had men to come in here and do this. We've had men like Kent McBay to come in here and sit. Bob Monteith to come in here and sit. And they had been so hurt and so used up and so burnt out. But one day they said, hey, you know what? I think I need to get back into the work again. And right now both of them are out pastoring, one in Virginia and one in Arizona. And hey, you know what they did? They got back to doing the job. You know what some of you need to do? Get back to doing the job. Get up. I know it hurts. I know there's problems. I know you're tired. I know you're weary. But we're hey, we're in the fourth quarter. We're down to the last few seconds. The trumpet's going to sound. Don't go out sitting down. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. Good. 
And I know the list is long. I'm telling you, I know some of you. I know the list is long of people that have hurt you and how you've been hurt in your own relationships and family and so many other things. But hey, don't let it stop you from being involved in the work of the church. Do something for God. Get back to the work. Get back to it. Amen. They returned to the work. Well, then in verse number 17, the Bible says, Then they which build it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one of us, with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. They were armed for the work. Charles Spurgeon had a famous magazine called The Sword and the Trial. All right, the sword, one hand, trial in the other hand. Jack Howes preached a great message, famous message on building and battling. All right, I'm building in one hand, I'm battling with the other. In other words, we need to be armed for the work. And I'm going to tell you right now, you listen to me. I know you already know it. But you need, you need to be engaged in the work, but you need to stay armed for the work. Don't ever lay your Bible down. Don't ever trade it in for something else. You, we don't need a new sword. We need the same old sword that's been given to us. You need to be armed for the work. There are all kinds of promises in here about the work. My God shall supply all your Need that, that, that God's grace is sufficient, that we are not, we are not sufficient of ourselves, but <laughs> our sufficiency is of God. And what I'm saying is this, that you've got to stay armed for the work. You've got to be ready. In fact, I guarantee you tonight, y'all came to church, didn't you? How many of you came to church to meet with Jesus? Okay, not everybody came to meet with Jesus, all right. You that came to meet with Jesus, I wonder how many of you also Brought something with you in case something happened. There are people scratching their head right now, but there's other people smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You're ready, aren't you? Some of y'all are too ready. Yeah. You're armed for the work. It's like we're trying to avoid the fight. Why why do we think if we just got quiet, changed our ways, that the world and everybody else would finally just accept us and it would all be okay? It's never going to be that way. It's never going to be that way. When I was in, I think I was in middle school. I think it was Oak Park. Was Oak Park Middle School? Oak Middle School. And I I did a stupid thing. There was a friend of mine, great big guy. You know, he's probably... I guess that's seventh grade. He had a full beard, hair all over his body. He probably flunked 25 times. I have no idea how old he was. But he was one of the biggest guys in the class. I mean, he was huge. And he was my friend, and I felt safe. And one day, his girlfriend slipped me a little note. You know how that stuff goes? She slipped me a note, so I'd give her one back. And he came to me, and he said, what are you doing talking to my girlfriend? I said, I ain't talking to your girlfriend. Yeah, you are. You sent her a note. I said, I just sent her a note back what she sent me. He said, you mess with my girlfriend. I said, Daryl, I'm not messing with your girlfriend. He said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm going to whip you after school. <laughs> That's the biggest. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, you think I'm kidding. I mean, he was 28 years old, man. <laughs> Hair coming out of his shirt. Huge on steroids. I'm talking about in the seventh grade. And I'm thinking, and I'm walking around. I'm scared to death. All day long. He'd say, I'm going to whip you. I know. 
I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, how do I get in trouble? How do I avoid this? You know, maybe pull the fire alarm. <laughs> you know, maybe. I and you know what? And finally, 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 bell rang. Oh, my, my stomach's sinking now. <laughs> the bell rang. And I, you know what I had to do? I had to go face him. I went out there and I'm thinking, and people are all gathered up. And he's going to beat me to death. I mean, he's going to beat me to death. And uh, I tried to avoid him. And so finally we got ready to fight. And then he just stopped and he said, that's all right, man. I ain't going to do anything to you. So I burned his mailbox. <laughs> I scared death. Something never happened. Why do we as a church act like, well, you know, no bad things are going to happen? Listen, you already know you've got opposition. Come on. You're, you know, listen, you know you're going to have opposition in the workplace. Some of you work in places, they expect you to go out and have drinks with them, and you don't do it. You don't ever need to do it. You're going to be opposed for that. If you don't listen to filthy jokes, you're going to be mocked for that. If you don't tell the filthy jokes, you're going to be mocked for that. If you don't talk about all the filthiness that goes on the television shows and Game of Thrones and all that kind of mess, somebody's going to take and they're going to have an issue with you, but that's all right because you're on the right side. You ought to put Jesus in that context and expect it. You need to be armed for the work. You need to be ready for a fight. You ready for a fight? You ready for a fight? You say, I don't want to be in a fight. It's too late. If you're, if you're involved in building the church of the living God and bringing glory to Jesus Christ, you're already on the opposite side of the majority of the world, the flesh and the devil. You've got to be armed for the word. You've got to be ready for that. And then if you look with me down, I think it's verse number 19. Verse number 19. <clears throat> i got 46 seconds left. If you're not armed for the work, you're going to stop. If you're not returning to the work, you're going to let somebody else do your job. If you're not praying for the work, you're leaving God out of the equation. If you don't have a mind to work, you're just going to sit idly by. But then look at verse number 19. The Bible says, And I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. We're, we're, we're greatly divided. We're different. In what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. There has to be a unity in the work. There, there can't be division if you're going to prosper the work. And what I mean by that is throughout the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians, you can see over and over again that there's division because of carnality, because of contention. There's division. And because of that division, Corinth really suffered trying to prosper in the work. And I'm just going to tell you tonight, there has to be unity in the work at Sweet, listen, at Sweet Springs Baptist Church or the work is not going to prosper. I have no idea what color carpet you chose over there. And I don't care. As long as it's not orange and white. <laughs> Well, I just, I can tell who, I made you mad. <laughs> made you mad. I don't care. Because that's petty. I don't care which way the doors swing. I don't. I had people in our church, I don't pick out the colors. Just like when I was here. I'm not going to pick out, I let some ladies pick out the colors. I'm going to blame it on them. <laughs> I picked out the, I picked out the one. Because it doesn't matter. 
There are so many things that happen in a church when you have people that rub up against each other and interact with each other. Listen, somebody's car is going to get scratched in the parking lot. Somebody's kid's going to say something to your kid that you don't appreciate. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't talk like that to my kid. I remember we had a kid. I'm afraid to tell it. We had a fight on the playground. Here I'm talking about being unified. We got a fight on the playground, one of our fellowships. And a parent went over to separate these kids. And when they separated them, that little boy turned around and looked at that lady and he said, You ain't my mama and I ain't got to do what you tell me to do. There's all kind of things we can be divided over. Why can't we be unified around getting the gospel to the world? Why can't we be unified around the Bible? Why can't you put aside some of the things that really don't matter? Come on, what does it matter if you don't get your way? I'm going to preach here for a little while. What does it Listen, some people, they'll leave a church because they didn't get their way in some area. You're going to stop the work. You're going to lay down the trial. You're going to lay down the sword. Go to some liberal church because you didn't get your way. That is not the way to get the work done. It doesn't matter. You don't always, you shouldn't, hey, hey, you shouldn't always get your way. (laughs) Everybody shouldn't get a trophy. Well, they called his name, didn't call my name. Boy, you know, Paul would have been in a lot of trouble, wouldn't he? Because in the back, he calls all kinds of different names. Some names he calls a lot. I remember people telling me, we can't can't do that because we'll miss somebody and they'll get offended. Why do we have to get offended and quit the work because our name wasn't mentioned? Right. Unity. Setting aside my own desires, my own benefit for the benefit of somebody else. By the way, didn't we have a Savior that did that? He set aside his will for the Father's will. You got to be unified. And y'all are different. Oh, my goodness. Come on, y'all are different. Aren't you, listen, aren't you glad there's not two of you in this church? Everybody else is probably glad there's not two of you in this church. I don't, we don't need two of you. We don't need two of me. That's why God made everybody different. Everybody's got a different thumbprint. That's on purpose. Everybody's got a different iris. That's on purpose. Well, we just need to, I had a friend of mine who was told, we just need to get people in this church. You need to go find the rich people and get them in the church. I would hate to pastor a church full of just rich people. I think they'd be hard to satisfy. We need the variety. You need rednecks in this church. That's right. But we've also had nuclear engineers. You need them too. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm going to just hang around my crowd. Why don't you make the whole church your crowd? Right, unity. If If you don't stay unified, you cannot prosper in the work. And that makes me fearful about this building. I know, you, I know you've got confidence in your pastor. I know you've got confidence in the purpose and the mission of the church. But then somebody's going to get offended because of the building. It makes me fearful. Now, I hope it's not my brother that gets offended. Do you know a lot of pastors leave after a building program? Do you know why? Because people get upset because 
that's not where I wanted the window. And that seat right there is a little bit too close. And the carpet is not the color. And it's a little bit too rough, Pastor. Why couldn't we have made it a little bit softer? Drives them crazy. I think you ought to give the job to Mike. What you ought to do. <laughs> Unity. Unity. Last thing and I'm finished. You look there in verse number 23. There has to be a commitment to the work. Remember verse number 6. Half the work had been done. But in verse number 22 and 23, likewise at the same time said I unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem that, is in, that in the night they may be a guard to us and a labor and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes save that everyone put them off for washing. In other words, we weren't going to be distracted for anything. We... We kept our clothes on. We stayed dressed and armed and ready for action the entire time. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Listen, you've got to stay committed. You cannot give in to distraction if you want the work to prosper. You have to stay committed. Come on, how many of you love the church at your apartment? Do you love, do you love Sweet Springs Baptist Church? Has God, has God ministered to you and your family through this church? Have you been given opportunity to serve the living God through this church? So you've got to stay committed. Listen, even when friends and family stop their commitment. When friends and family say, I'm going to move down the road and I'm going to go to another church or I'm going to stop going like I used to go and I'm going to find a place, maybe they don't use the same Bible. And when that happens at you and it's one of your family members or your friend, that's very hard and it makes it hard to stay committed. Hey, listen, stay committed to the work regardless of whatever else is going on in other people's lives. But I go a little bit farther. What about your own children? When your children decide, you know what, I'm going to take a left turn. Boy, Mom, we know something about that, don't we? Got one that decides to take a left turn. You know, my mother and dad, my mother and dad never moved in their walk with the Lord all the years that I was out there living like a fool. That's right. And you know what happened when I finally got right with God? I had a place to come back to. There are so many parents today, grandparents today. A child decides to come out of the closet or be pressured into some gender identification at the school and, and now they've got to move. Don't, hey, don't move when everybody else does. Stay right in the same place. Stay committed. Stay committed. Stay committed when things are high, but stay committed when things are low. Whoo, man. I do not like people that are fair weather fans. Well, I'm just for whoever's winning. Shame on you. Well, whoever, well, that's my team now. 
Although, you know, sometimes you have some lean years, and sometimes a church does the same thing. It goes through some lows. That's, hey, that's not the time to unhook and to slip out. That's the time to go ahead and say, I'm going to just drive it down a little bit deeper right here because this is where God put me, and this is where I'm going to stay, and it's important that our children have a place to go to, and they're protected. I'm not moving out of this place right here. Commitment to the work of the church. Come on, you know, the work of the church is the work of God. It's so important today. Unity. Calling out to a God, I need you, we need your help, Lord. Making certain that you don't allow anything to separate you and divide you. Oh, God, let it be so.